I'm going to talk today about the God of a second chance, okay? How many of you have ever wanted a second chance? Maybe you blew it big time. You said something to your husband that you knew you shouldn't have said. You said something to your wife. You knew you shouldn't have said it, but you said it anyway. Or you said something to your kids, or you did something at work, or maybe you were driving down the Dixie Highway headed toward Radcliffe one day, not really paying much attention to the speedometer, and all of a sudden you look down and it says you're going 70 in a 50. You look in the rearview mirror and you see some blue lights, you're thinking, oh, I'd sure like to have a second chance, right? How many ever wanted a second chance? Well, today... We're going to talk about the God of the second chance. Here in the book of Jonah, we see a man who had blown it big time, royally. He has rebelled against God and ran away from his mission that God had called him to do. But God didn't give up on him. God gave him another chance. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 begins like this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God had already told Jonah to go to Nineveh once, but Jonah flat out refused. God told Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites, but Jonah doesn't like those Ninevites. In fact, he can't stand those people, so he gets on a boat headed in the opposite direction as far away as he could go, but before he gets very far, God sends a storm. And God stops the boat, and the boat is about to break apart because the storm is so furious. And these heathen sailors are praying to their gods, calling on their gods to deliver them and to send the storm away, but nothing happens. So they call Jonah. You pray to your God, and Jonah said, well, I could, but what you really need to do is throw me overboard because as long as I'm on this boat, there's going to be a storm, and if it goes on too long, we're probably all going to drown. The sailors don't want to throw Jonah overboard, and so they try to row as hard as they can toward the shore, but they can't get there. And so finally, they go ahead and they throw Jonah overboard into the water. And there is Jonah in the water, and all of a sudden, the sea becomes completely calm. Things are looking good if you're the sailors in the boat. Not so good if you're Jonah in the deep blue sea. But circumstances for Jonah are about to get worse. You see, God sends this huge fish. We don't know what it was. Might have been a great white shark, some scholars say. It could have been not a fish, but a whale. But some huge sea monster was sent by God, and it swallows Jonah literally alive. He is in the belly of this whale, this fish, this great white shark, whatever it is, for three days and three nights. And then God gives this monster of the sea some indigestion. And it vomits out Jonah. Go, bleh, all right? (laughs) Say it with me, bleh. There he was, okay? (laughs) Just grossed you out, right? We can wait a little longer for lunch. Jonah is vomited out onto the shore, perhaps back at Joppa. Most scholars say it could have been at Nineveh, but this great fish vomits Jonah onto shore. 
God could have killed Jonah on the spot. God could have told someone else to go. But God tells Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. I got a mission for you. I'm going to give you a second chance. By the way, God's not done with you yet either. God's still got work for you to do. God's still got a mission for your life. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible says in Philippians 1.6 that he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is not done with you yet. Whether you're 8 or 88, God is still working on your life. God is still conforming inside of you the character of Jesus Christ, and God is not done with you yet. Amen? Our God is the God of the second chance. The same God who gave Jonah a second chance when he refused to go to Nineveh. The same God who gave Moses a second chance after he had killed an Egyptian and ran away from Egypt into the wilderness. The same God who gave David a second chance after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. The same God who gave the prophet Elijah a second chance after he had run away from the wicked Queen Jezebel, the same God who gave Simon Peter a second chance after he had denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times is the same God who is at work in your life today, and he is not done with you yet. He's reaching out to you. You see, it's not how you start the race that matters so much, but how you finish it. Some of you started out your race pretty well. But somewhere along the way, you got discouraged, you got hurt, you got defeated, or you got tired, and you just want to give up. How many of you ever feel like quitting? I do. How many of you ever feel like giving up? I do. But God is not done with you yet. I encourage you to say what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I am forgetting those things which are behind me and I'm reaching forward with all of my might toward those things which are ahead. I encourage you to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, at the end of your life, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. If you've been knocked down by the grace of God, get back up. If you're running away from God, come back home. God is not done with you yet. God gave Jonah a second chance, and to Jonah's credit, he went this time. Of course, if I'm Jonah, I'm afraid not to go again. I distinctly remember just a few days earlier when I said, sorry, Lord, you want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to talk to whom? I don't think so. <laughs> not doing it. I'd rather slide down a 50-foot razor blade into a swim pool filled of alcohol than to go to those Ninevites. Well, after being thrown in the middle of the deep blue sea, in the middle of a storm, being swallowed by a great fish or whale or whatever it was, after being puked out onto shore, I think I'd be going. How about you? Jonah still doesn't want to go, but to his credit, he's going. In chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah goes. Verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to go, but he goes. Sometimes God's going to give you assignments that you wouldn't choose. I don't want to go talk to that person. I don't want to be nice to those people. 
I don't want to apologize to that person that I offended. I don't want to be kind to that person because they have not been kind to me. I don't want to walk across the street and share Jesus Christ with those people because I don't know what they're going to say. I don't want to sit by those people in church today, but we're only having one service. It's kind of crowded in here, and here they come. They sat down by me. You probably have some people in your life that you don't like very much either. But I doubt that you stand. I doubt that you hate them. I doubt that you can't stand them as much as Jonah couldn't stand the people that he had to go to in the Ninevites. Let me encourage you. Take a lesson from Jonah. It's always better to obey God the first time. You can save yourself a whole lot of heartache and trouble and pain if you will just obey God the first time. Say, obey God with me. Obey God the first time. But if you're living your life rebelling against God today, it's not too late. Get back in the game. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and Nineveh is not like Upton or Glendale or Sonora. This is not Colesburg. This place is huge. Verse 3 tells us, now Nineveh was a very large city. In fact, verse 3 tells us that it took three days to go through it. Nineveh was probably the greatest city in the known world at that time. It's been said that its walls were 100 feet high and wide enough for three chariots to drive on it side by side. If I'd been Jonah, I'd been more like country come to town. Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) Shazam! Golly! What in the world have I gotten myself into? (laughs) So here's Jonah, the reluctant prophet, who begins by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. I can just see it now. Jonah's walking all around the city saying, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And I think maybe he's starting to like it. 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed, and I hope they will be. But unfortunately for Jonah, they are not destroyed. Jonah is hoping that Nineveh is destroyed. But to Jonah's deep chagrin, the Ninevites believe God. And repented of their sins. Even the king put on sackcloth and ashes and sat in the dust. They even made the animals fast and put on sackcloth. You don't believe me, do you? Go to verses 7 and 8. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that they will not perish. These people are serious now. When is the last time you got serious about the sin in your life? God, search me. Try me. God, know my anxious thoughts. God, see the hurtful, sinful, wicked ways in me. God, I don't want to think about my neighbor right now. I don't want to think about all the sins out there in the world. I don't want to think about all the people who are worse than I am. God, search my heart. God, try me. God, cleanse me. God, put your finger on anything in my life that's displeasing and disappointing to you. When is the last time you prayed a prayer like that?
We should pray that kind of prayer regularly. See, I believe the reason why the church of America doesn't know revival today is not because of all the sins out there in the world. It's not because of all the people in the world who are rebelling against God, though that's offensive to God as well. But the reason why the church doesn't know revival in America today is because of us. God search me. God try me. God cleanse me. God change me. And when we get right with God and we begin to pursue this love relationship with God that is more important to us than anything else in the world, the world might just notice And they might want the same Savior that we have because we have been broken over our sin. And we are living what we say we believe. And we are following Jesus Christ with all of our lives. The only thing that keeps you from knowing the life and joy and peace and power of God in your life is you. Here in verse 10, some really wicked people A nation that was a lot more ungodly than America, I believe. They repent. And verse 10 gives us God's response. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Praise God. Here was an extremely wicked, heathen nation. More ungodly than perhaps we could imagine. And here's the good news for some of you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how mightily you might think that you have failed. It doesn't matter how great you think your sin might be. Jesus Christ loves you. And if you're willing by the grace of God to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he can and will save you right now. You don't have to wait to go to church a thousand times or try to get your act cleaned up. You give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today and he will give you life, eternal and abundant. Amen? I don't know who all of you are. I don't know all of your circumstances. I don't know all of your situations. But in a room this size, there's probably somebody here that says, well, God couldn't forgive me. Listen. God has forgiven people who had sin a lot harder and worse and more disgusting than you ever thought of having. And he loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He's calling you today. Will you respond to his call for your life? Will you give your life to him? These people in Nineveh were so wicked, they pulled the tongues out of their enemies and skinned them alive. Now, I know your mama threatened to skin you alive, but she probably didn't do it. You wouldn't be here today, right? They also conquered their enemies, and they piled their skulls outside the city for show and tell. They were horrible, but they repented. They turned from their sin. 
They humbled themselves before God and they humbly in brokenness turned themselves by God's grace to God and God forgave their sin. Now, if I'm Jonah, I'm thinking, this is amazing. I went to this city, maybe the biggest city in the whole world, and I preached to them repentance, and they all got saved. Wouldn't that be incredible? Hundreds of thousands of people got saved at one time, in one event, from the preaching of Noah. Billy Graham's never even seen hundreds of thousands of people come to know him at one revival meeting. If I'd have been the Baptist revival preacher, I'd have put that on my resume. How about you? Jonah comes to the city, preaches God's news, and people's lives are changed. However, Jonah doesn't think this is amazing at all. In fact, Jonah is royally ticked off about it. He can't stand the Ninevites. In fact, the very reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he was afraid that this would happen. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, this is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah should have been celebrating. Hundreds of thousands of lives were spared because of the the news that he shared. And yet Jonah is so angry with God, he wants to die because he can't stand those people. I doubt that you hate anybody that much. Now, you probably got some people you'd prefer not sit by in church on Sunday. Maybe you're sitting by them today. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you're not so bad after all. <laughs> Feels good to get it out. Now, to be fair, Jonah's not going to be a hero back in Israel because Nineveh repented. Nobody back in Israel likes the Ninevites. They don't want to be spared either. They don't want them to be spared. Jonah is not alone in this, but Jonah is extremely self-centered. Go to chapter 4, verses 5 and following, and you'll see more of Jonah's selfishness. So Jonah went out of the city and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. At first glance, that seems nice. Jonah's tired, done a lot of preaching, done a lot of walking. He's going to chill. God brings us this nice plant, gives him some shade. This is good. But the story doesn't stop there. Go to verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah's having a pity party. Question, how many of you have ever had a pity party? Oh, God, I don't like my circumstances. Lord, do you know what he said to me? Do you know what she did to me? I am so discouraged. I don't think I want to go back to church again. I don't think I want to read the Bible. I don't think I want to pray even though I'm praying right now. I'm done, okay? Don't talk to me. You ever have a pity party? I've had a few. Usually when I go home after the sermon bombs, it's like, okay, God. <laughs> Sometimes it's after the first service. It's like, I was like, well, what happened there, Lord? Some of you don't just have pity parties. For some of you, they go on for days, for weeks, for months, for years. For some of you, your life is one big pity party. Somebody hurt you. Somebody said something to you. Somebody did something to you, and you're living in discouragement. You're wallowing in self-centeredness, and you just can't hardly get your head up. Let me encourage you. Cry a river, build a bridge, and get over it. (laughs) And if you need professional help, then find a good Christian counselor. Somebody who's biblically based, but somehow, some way, find a way to deal with that because you don't want to spend the rest of your life in a pity party. I don't think that helps you. I don't think that honors God. And there are bigger issues than I can tell you about, perhaps, or handle, but you, by the grace of God, you come and you humble yourself before him. You find help if you need to. But don't live your life, the rest of your life that way. Jonah's having a pity party. Because Jonah's got mixed up priorities. Go to verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish that I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern? For the great city of Nineveh, God says, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. God had mercy on Jonah, but Jonah didn't have mercy on others. God had given Jonah a second chance, but Jonah didn't want to give the same benefit to others. Some of you have people in your life who need a second chance. They've hurt you, they've offended you, they've said things to you. By the grace of God, you need to forgive them. You need to love them unconditionally. I'm not saying you need to keep putting yourself back into hurtful situations with them, but you got to forgive and you got to love and you got to be what God has called you to be in that circumstance. Some of you need to do some apologizing this week. You've hurt somebody. You've offended someone. You know that you've done something, and you know that it's your fault, at least part of it, maybe most of it. There's some people you need to go to this week, and you need to ask them to forgive you. 
because you know that you've offended them. You know what you said you shouldn't have said. You know what you did you shouldn't have did. Shouldn't have done. Excuse the grammar, but understand the meaning. <laughs> Some of you need to make a brand new start this year. You've been wallowing in a pity party for a long time. God's calling you to rise up. Trust in Him. Follow Him. To be like the Apostle Paul when he said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind me, and I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I can't change the past, but by the grace of God, I can be what God is calling to be now and in the future. I close with this. Today is the Super Bowl, so i got to give you a football illustration. Sorry. On New Year's Day in 1929, Georgia Tech played the University of California in the Rose Bowl. Shortly before halftime, a man named Roy Regals recovered a fumble for California. Somehow he became confused, and he started running 65 yards in the wrong direction. A teammate tackled him just before he would have scored for the opposing team. When California attempted to punt, Tech blocked the kick and scored a safety. The team headed off the field and went into the dressing room. As they sat on the benches, Regals put a blanket around his shoulder, sat down in the corner, put his face in his hands, and cried like a baby. Coach Nibs Price was silent. No doubt he was trying to decide what to do with Regals. Everyone just sat there. When the timekeeper announced three minutes till the end of the half, Coach Price looked at the team and simply said, Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. The players got up and started out all but Regals. He didn't budge. The coach looked back and called him again, but still he didn't move. Coach Price went over to Regals and said, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team starts the second half. Regals looked up and with tears in his eyes, he said, Coach, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd in the stadium if my life depended on it. Coach Price reached out, put his hand on Regal's shoulder and said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Roy Regals went back and everybody who saw it said he played the greatest game in his entire life in the second half. Truth be told, sometimes we take the ball and we run in the wrong direction. We stumble, we fall, we fail. We try to do life our own way, sometimes deliberately, sometimes without even realizing it. God is calling you to come back home, to give yourself to him. To allow him to be in charge of your life. To follow him. To rise up out of the ashes of your discouragement, your fear, your anger, your bitterness. Whatever it is that's holding you back. And follow Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me?